we want to find a way to, that everybody can connect really well and, 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 and it isn't exclusive, which is the danger because when you get maxed out in your capacity, you're like, I don't want any more friends. I can't cope with any more friends. But then new people just keep coming and they want to be your friend. And, and we, we need to sort of start to shift so that we can cope with what I believe God is promising us is more and more new people. And that vision I had, I told you about God just seeing fish and flocks. And I just had this amazing vision just being brought to us. And I was like, no, oh, we're not ready. So we, we want to do our part in being strategically ready. Uh, and the other thing I've been sharing is this whole sense of, of, the, uh, of the jigsaw puzzle. <clears throat> so Hope Church is a bit like a jigsaw puzzle. And, and what we've got some of the bits on the board. But actually, what's, what you can see isn't everything that's on the box. Uh, and, and so sometimes when you walk into an environment like this, you think, well, it, well, they've really got this and they've really got that, but they haven't got this and they're not doing that. And we're, Actually, if you're passionate about the things that aren't here, maybe you're a piece that's still in the box that's supposed to help us get it on the board because the, the picture is bigger than what we already have. And, and so this is another thing we're doing is we are trying to lift up the picture so all the pieces we have incredible people in this room know how they function, where they fit. So, and, and just because they can't, just sometimes because you can't see it on the board, you think, well, we, that's, we don't want it then. No, actually, we, there's probably tons of things we want to see happen out of this church that lots of us don't realize, and that may be the very thing you're carrying. Sometimes the thing that upsets you the most is the thing you're called to change the most. The thing that you're most irritated by, the most offended by, is probably the thing you're equipped to change. And, and, and so you may be a pile, a, a piece on the side of, of the, the board, and we want to try and help everybody get fitted in in this, in this transition process that, that we're in, in. All right? And in that process, I just want to review some stuff that we, we have been on a massive journey as individuals and as a family for the last five years. And if you can sum it up in, in a phrase, it's we've been moving from being orphans to being sons. Uh, in the biblical sense, sons and daughters. And uh, if you could flick up, I'm just going to look at a couple of verses. Because we have, we've discovered we have options in terms of where we, where we live out of in terms of our identity. <clears throat> this is the, uh, the NIV, the, the new version. It says, the spirit, from Romans 8, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves. It's an identity statement. All right? When the Holy Spirit comes to you, he doesn't make you a slave so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received bought you your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So it's possible. This is, this is Paul giving good information to believers. He said, he said it's possible to misunderstand this and get in the wrong spirit and get in a spirit of fear. If you think your identity now is fundamentally as a servant or as a slave to God, you're more likely to going to be in a wrong spirit which connects you to fear. But actually the Holy Spirit has come to give us a new identity which is sons. 
and there's no room for fear in sonship because perfect love casts out fear. All right, so there's like there's two options you can live in that world and align with that identity and that reality where the Holy Spirit is affirming that. But if you step out of that, then, then fear starts to happen in your life. Would you just flick up the next? And, and Jesus put it this way. I, I think there's, there's an overlap here. In his long discourse before his crucifixion with his disciples, he said, I'm going to ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate to help you to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you of orphans. I will come to you. Now the definition of an orphan isn't someone who does, it's not about the absence of parents, it's about the absence of their presence. All right? So everybody alive has the, 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 the DNA source from a man or a woman. They have a mom and dad somewhere. But what we define as orphans are people who don't have the presence of their parents in their life. And Jesus is saying, I'm not going to leave you. Jesus is saying, he's going to come to us by the Spirit so we're not on our own. So we don't feel like orphans. We don't have the experience of being left alone by God. He's also saying that he's going to fix the problem that happened at the fall in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve disobeyed God. There was disconnect. So at one point they walked without shame in the cool of the day, heart to heart, connected. After that moment of sin, they're hiding in fear behind a bush. And Jesus is saying that orphan thinking, that orphan separation came in at that point and what the Bible calls reconciliation happened at the cross so that we are no longer separated from God. It's not enough just to know, though, that you are legally right. Yeah? Most of us know we are legally sons, we are legally adopted. What the Holy Spirit comes to do is get us to a place where we experientially know we're right, where we feel it where we know we're sons and we're daughters, where we've got that sense of Him crying out inside of us, where, where, we, where we're not feeling alone. Many times as believers, we've, and I've experienced this, we feel like we're just standing for Christ in this sort of cold spot of earth. It's never meant to be like that. He's come to never leave us or forsake us and to be alongside us. Uh, do we have hope of the next slide? What I want to do in the time I've got left today is just look at what, what you're going to see in a moment, I believe, is, is two columns. One is, one is the kind of mindset that orphans, slaves, and servants tend to live with. So they're characteristics of that kind of mindset. So I'm just going to do this a little bit differently today. The other, the other column is what we're experiencing, what we're shifting to as sons and daughters, what are characteristics of sons and daughters. And as you'll see, this is, this is, some of these contrasts are quite startling, and some in the first column have felt like, oh, that's authentic religious Christianity. And actually, the Holy Spirit has been breaking our mindsets and breaking in on us and shifting us to 
a, a different place in our understanding because he's doing the job of converting us truly from being orphans to being sons and daughters so that we know it, we feel it, and we start to live out of that new sense of identity and reality. And, and I hope this kind of acts, because if you've been around here any length of time, you'll have heard a lot of this. This is kind of squeezing it all into half an hour or less. All right, it give you a bit of a checklist on how we're doing. So, one, as you see, the one column is the mindset and feelings generally of orphans and slaves. And what we're transitioning to is living in the reality of sons and daughters. And this is kind of underneath so much of the changes that we've been experiencing, okay? So, statement of the blinding, the obvious, but servants have a master, sons and daughters have a father. And this is all about how we frame our idea of who God is and what he looks like. Is he a boss or is he our dad? And if we're sitting in the room thinking, thinking of him like a dad, then that's a sign that we're maybe still living in the first column rather than transitioning to the second. And because of that, orphans and, and, and slaves are just waiting to be told what to do. And I know I lived a lot of my Christian life like this. I'm waiting for instructions. I'm waiting to be told what to do rather than being in a relationship where I'm asking and even choosing what to do. There's a radical thought right there, eh? A lot of us were brought into the idea, well, I'm a believer now, I just have to wait for instructions from heaven, and therefore, the highest value is just to obey and do what I'm told and keep my nose clean. Rather than the contrast to that is functioning from a place of love. If God wanted robots, he could have made that right at the beginning. We wouldn't have needed the choice in the garden. If he just wanted people who he shouted, go, they went. If he shouted, jump, they just said, how high. He could have created that from day one. He would have had robots. He would have had a, a, a very obedient bunch of people. But just doing what he says because he's the most powerful one is not love. It's fear. Say it to these people over here. Just doing what he says because he's the most powerful one and that's what we should do isn't love, it's fear. The reason he created a garden with a choice is he wanted us to choose. He wanted us to keep making good choices to love him. He wanted obedience to come from love. So John 14, 21 talks about... If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And depending on your mindset, you can read that verse two ways. One is, if you love me, you'll do what I say. I.e., you'll prove it by doing. But the other way, which is the sense in which I believe it's written, is if you love me, what, because you love me, out of that flow of love in your heart, you will be obedient. And that's a different kind, that's a love culture, not an obedience culture. And that's an honor culture rather than a culture of obedience. Are you you with me? So I'm actually responding out of my appreciation, love, and value for the one I'm responding to, not just because they told me to do it. Not because they're the boss, they're more powerful, and if I don't do it, they're going to whack me. You know, lightning bolts from heaven or something. So this idea that you know, I, I've not joined the army. I've been adopted into a family. Yeah. 
I actually get to choose to obey or not. So I put up that 2 Corinthians 8 verse 5. It's actually saying about people how they chose to give themselves to God and then to us by the will of God. You get to choose every day who you give yourself to, who you love. You are not controlled. Once you step out of darkness into light, the control is gone. You get to choose to love. Just smile even if you're not happy. Just keep. Which means orphans are waiting for instructions because they want to be told what to do. We get to, we get to dream. The verse says it's he, he does abundantly more than we ask or think. And there's, there's a lot of other scriptures I could give you about actually God saying, well, I'll do what you asked me to do. Isn't that amazing? Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. I'm like, What? So he's looking for us to come up with some stuff. So one, one model is we're kind of slightly empty-headedly waiting for a download from heaven so we know what to do. The other model is a relationship where he's, he's got a listening ear where we're, we're speaking to him about what's bubbling up out of our heart and he's, he's partnering with us and we're partnering with him in the dreams that are bubbling up in our hearts. That's called a relationship. Okay, let, let's, let's go on. Orphans tend to live for connection. So what they're doing is trying to improve so they can have a little bit more connection, a little bit more time with the one in charge, a little bit more access, a little bit more appreciation. Sons and daughters live from connection. We have a connection. We haven't got to fight for it or earn it. We have a connection with Almighty God. The gap... The cross closed the gap. There's no distance between you and Him anymore. You have been reconciled. It's a big word, but it just means there is no gap, no more. Don't create one. And a servant, his, his, his goal is to learn to serve better. We're actually being trained to rule and reign. let that one land for a minute mm-hmm. well, the scriptures are up there further down but we're, we're a royal priesthood 1 Peter 2.9 and, and Romans 5.17 talks about us reigning in life we are being trained to rule and reign not in a domineering harsh way but we're being taught to reign in life not just learn how to serve better Okay. We're moving out of a hierarchical relationship mindset into a friendship-based mindset. So James 2.23 talks about Abraham, because he believed God, he became a friend of God. Uh, and John 15 is about Jesus, who is where Jesus is saying, you've learned to obey me, now I'm not calling you servants anymore, I call you friends. So the goal, Jesus' goal was to draw these people around him to the point where they started to connect as friends. God wants friends. God's actually made us to be his friends. 
That's the desire of our hearts too. We just love to be closer. But if we have all this religious thinking in our heads, we just feel distant all the time. Jesus canceled the distance. Distance equals religion. It's gone. Restricted access, full access. We, we, we have confident access to the throne of grace. We are his kids. He loves to see us. In fact, we are seated with him. We don't have to make appoint, appointments like first Friday of every month. We get a slot. I'm not sure it'd be true in, in this house, but in, certainly in some environments I've been in, the mentality of a believer is, I'm a sinner and I'm moving to be a bit more glorious. We're transitioning to this, we are glorious and we've been made more glorious. Because that's what 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, that we're moving from glory to glory. It does say that. We're moving from glory to glory. When the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside you, you're already glorious. We're already glorious. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we're being changed from one degree of glory to another. Because the goal of God, God's heart is to fill the earth with His glory, like the waters cover the sea. And that means doing it through you. It's doing it through loads of people that are glorious. And the more you see him, the more you like him. And what's he like? Pretty dull. He, he's glorious. So we need to break any mindset in us is where we're just a sinner and maybe we'll get better because we're saints moving from glory to glory. We aren't just loved. We've actually been positionally shifted to a place of supreme honor that we are sons and daughters saints of God. We're not paupers. And certainly for a long season in my Christian life, it was almost like feeling like you're a pauper was humility. Yes. Yes. Oh, I'm such a worm. I'm so hopeless. When I was saying those kind of things, we're like, wow, you're so humble. Yes. But that isn't true. I'm not a worm. I'm, I'm a royal priest. I'm a royal priest. That, that's an identity statement in 1 Peter 2 9. I am not a worm. I'm a royal priest. I'm a saint of the Most High God. I don't need to be canonized. I already have been canonized. And because I'm a saint, miracles will happen. I don't have to prove doing miracles to become one. Yeah. So I don't know if you're in here this morning feeling a bit pauperish. Well, let's kick that one out of the door. That belongs to the orphan spirit. And let's just get in the spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit who, who sees us and has made us his princes and princesses. And, and connected, we, we're moving out of thinking we're undeserving to knowing that we're richly favored. The thing with favor is, 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 by very nature, grace is undeserved. Yeah. 
So you, see, you can be sitting there thinking, I don't deserve anything from God. In fact, I've done so much in my life that he should never, ever do anything for me. None of that makes any difference to him. You could make the biggest list you could think of of why you don't deserve anything. And he's like, so. <laughs> he is mightily not impressed by your list of all the reasons you don't deserve him to do anything for you. For you. Because he is doling out favor for free. And we're learning that isn't just that isn't just spiritual favor like, oh, I'm forgiven, but his favor is on all aspects of our life, which is why we do testimony about people getting healed and people's finances getting sorted out, as well as other things, because God's favor stretches over everything. It's not confined to spiritual things. That's a lie. So you get outrageous favor in your life. You can get, you have already got the unfair advantage in your job just because you have the favor of God on you. Well, I don't don't have all the qualifications. Now, I'm not against getting qualifications, but I tell you what, having God's undeserved, outrageous, crazy favor on your life is going to take you a long way. Just saying. We are richly favored. And that's how we reign in life. Not because we figured it all out, but because we're enjoying the grace of God to us. Okay. There's a lot in this sonship stuff, isn't there? I enjoyed putting all this in. How are you doing? You feeling good about this? It's encouraging you. You're scoring well on the sonship side. So servants tend to think about payment, I think, in two ways. One is, I, I really dislike this. I've disliked this for a long time. But when I hear Christians saying, he did so much for me, I just have to pay him back. Yeah. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Yeah. He doesn't want paid. Yeah. And even if, you could, even if he does, you could never pay him back. It's impossible. This is not the deal. It's like saying to your parents, I just want to pay back to you the fact that you had me. How insane would that be to any decent parent? Well, every time your child comes into the room, it's like, oh, I'm so glad you had me. How, how, can I, how can I repay the fact that you gave me birth? Every day, every week, mom, dad, I'm so grateful that, that, you, know, that you birthed me. Mom, Thanks. Again, how can I pay? Anybody here doing that at home? No. Where, where did we get this from? It's not about paying back. This is a free gift. It's the free gift of righteousness. Grace is free. It's undeserved. You can't earn it. It's given freely with no expectation of repayment. Otherwise, it wouldn't be grace. And then connected to that is that, well, what I've earned and what I've deserved, which, we, which we've touch, touched on already. But actually what we've been brought into is this whole thing of inheritance. So actually, there's, there's, you all understand the law of sowing and reaping because it works everywhere. Yeah. 
works in agriculture, it works in business. You, what you reap is what you sow. It's, it's something that God's sown into the universe. What you put out there is what you get back. And if you, do, if you do it well, what you get back should be multiplied what you sow, both in the positive and in the negative, yeah? So that has a connection also to the deserving cycle. So that, that's, that's a law written in to life, sowing and reaping. But favor in inheritance trumps the law of sowing and reaping. I'm going to say that again. Favor in inheritance trumps the law of sowing and reaping. So sowing and reaping is true, but there's a, higher, there's a higher principle, which is God's favor. It's like, well, I know you don't deserve any of that, and you sowed a horrible life, but boom, here's my goodness. And inheritance. We get to inherit everything Jesus has for free. Again, inheritance doesn't work that because I earned it all my life, I get inheritance from my mom and dad. No, I get an inheritance. That's what they've earned all their life, and then they give it to me for nothing. So he, Jesus, bought and paid for stuff. He's now giving to us for nothing that we don't deserve. So we've really got to crack this. There's a higher principle than just sowing and reaping. And that means we can move from the just enough mentality of orphans. I always think of the picture in, in Oliver, the old film. Have you seen that? It's a bit of an old, old, old film now. But he comes with his bowl and, can I have some more, sir? And it's like gruel. <laughs> uh, uh, God isn't like that. We're not, we're not Oliver the orphan saying, well, I just got through the day. But can I have some more? He's a generous, lavish dad. He wants us to live from a place of more than enough. Luke 6 there is about how he wants to press it down, shake it together, pour it into our lap so that it's overflowing. I know that more than one of these points has the ability to fry your brain. And some of you may want more explanation. Uh, but trust me, we have explained pretty much all of this over the last five years, and I would be happy to talk to anybody uh, uh, biblically and unpack this transition that we're in. And, and <clears throat> the orphan heart is looking for recognition and striving because it wants to be seen. If you don't have presence, a family, if you don't you don't have the presence of the recognition and the affirmation that healthy family brings. And this is, raises a whole other issue. So you can have family that's present and is unpleasantly present. That still produces an orphan spirit. Or is unpleasantly present and then disappears and then reappears and not everybody's family is, is as sweet as heaven. So some of us need our hearts fixed even on what does it mean to be in Father's house. Because Heavenly Father isn't like our earthly Father. And we can't read Him through what we have here. Because that m limits Him and make, sometimes makes Him an abuser where He's a healer. So it isn't just the absence of parents, it's also the presence of bad parents that produces this. And even none of our parents are perfect. My, I have great dad and mom, but they weren't perfect. I, I needed healing in my heart so I get a right view of what Heavenly Dad is like. 
Otherwise, you end up striving and looking for recognition rather than being in a place of rest and enjoying his affirmation. Jesus, before he does his ministry, God says to him, the Heavenly Father breaks in publicly and says, you are my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Some of us, we've overused the sense of, I want to get to heaven and have the well done, good and faithful servant. He gives us that at the beginning. Sons get that at the beginning. Sons get that at the beginning. <laughs> Isn't that good news? Affirmation from the start. Which means we move from the doing defines us to being defines us. I was talking to someone the other way, day about how they were finding connecting to the church. And I said, the trouble with Hope Church is I don't know the right thing to be. Because no one's telling me what to be. If I just knew what to be, I'd be it, and then I'd fit in. And then I'm like, yay, we've succeeded in something. Because <laughs> <laughs> what we want is that you be, you be you, not what we think you is. Because we believe that, it's dropped off the end there, but we believe that everybody's made in God God's image and everyone, everyone is a masterpiece. And every masterpiece has a unique feature. We're like snowflakes, only nicer. <laughs> Everybody's completely unique. So if we create a cookie cutter sausage machine of a church, then you may feel comfortable because you know how to fit in, but you'll very soon feel uncomfortable because fitting in doesn't equal being you. Let's move on. All right, we're coming in for a landing. I've got five minutes on my clock. How are you doing? Thank you, Jesus. Gather. Orphans tend to gather for safety around truth. Whereas we're, well, as you understand the Father, then... This starts to become about gathering around fathers and mothers. Orphans and servants, I've noticed that they're skeptical and cautious of fathers and tend to put fathers and leaders in the box of bosses and masters and respond to them accordingly, even if they're not. And that's not to do with the nature of the leader. That's to do with the orphanness still in the heart of the believer. They struggle to respond to healthy leadership. That's not because there's something wrong with the leadership. It's there's something wrong in the heart of the person that can be fixed. But we're moving to a day where fathers and mothers are rising up, where people are rallying to fathers and mothers and giving them honor freely. So the, the leadership in church life works the same it works from honor, not bossing. It works from appreciation and love, not being told what to do and following instructions. So it reflects heaven. It reflects the way that God does it. Uh, there's some stuff about prayer which we haven't got time to go into, but it's not wrong to pray to God. Don't misunderstand me here. But there's something we're learning about praying from our position. And binding and loosing and stuff like that, that we have an ability to declare and release, not simply to petition. 
Uh, orphans tend to go. So they hear the go of the gospel and they go. They pursue their ministry. They go after their thing. But then they have never been sent because they've never connected to community. It's tough for orphans to do community. To learn to share, to learn to connect, to learn to be vulnerable, to learn to be transparent and authentic. All that requires a healed up heart of a son. And, and what lots of us are in, are in that healing up process of transitioning from one to the other. God's doing it. When we meet with him, we're getting sozoed, we're getting whatever we need so that we can get out of that orphan spirit and into this realm of sonship. Uh, by nature, servants and orphans are natural. They view life from the earth because that's their origin. When you know you're a son of God, you start to be supernatural because you know you're born from heaven. It's basic, isn't it? We're born again. We're born from heaven. Hello, I'm giving you an easy one here. This is a freebie. We're all born from heaven. So if we're born from heaven, we line up with what heaven does. Hello? Isn't this just obvious, isn't it? If we're born from earth, then we do earth. But we're not. We're born from heaven. And that is a whole transition that we're, we're in. And the orphan mindset tends to stay forever children under guardians and managers. Still reporting to the boss. Sons need to become, and daughters need to become fathers and mothers in their own right. So our goal in this house is not to raise up a lot of people who know how to do what they're told, but raise up a lot of people who can reproduce and become mums and dads themselves. But that only happens out of their connection of honor to the mums and dads that are already in the house. Because you can't become a mum and dad without being a good son and daughter first. That, that has to be done. Glory. Can we stand? That's what we've been learning for five years. <laughs> they will be. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this into a handout for you all. Uh, in, in, in the weeks to come. I didn't want to give it today because I know what happens. So if you want to take a position that you feel comfortable with, put out your hands or <laughs> lie on the floor or <laughs> put your hand on your heart or your tummy or somewhere, just... We, I want to pray a, a transition prayer for us all. I'm believing that this year is a year of sonship. A year of being a good son, being a good daughter for all of us in this room and, and beyond. Because what the biggest thing we have to give to the world is that God is a good dad and you can be his son and his daughter. Heaven needs no more orphans. We're not recruiting more servants. We're birthing more sons. So, Father, I choose today to align myself with the Holy Spirit of sonship who lives inside me. I'm going to say it again. You can say it with me. Father, I choose today to align with the Holy Spirit of sonship who lives inside me. And you insert son or daughter, but I am a son of God. I have a good dad in heaven. 
I cut off the orphan tendencies in my life. I choose to embrace the fact that I'm loved. And I'm being trained to reign. I declare that I have undeserved favor all over my life. I have an unfair advantage from heaven. I am loved. I am, loved. I am liked. I'm beautifully designed, I am beautifully and, I'm ready to happen. and I'm ready to happen. Look out, world. Look out, world. <laughs> Amen. Amen.